You're listening to WCAT Radio, your home for authentic Catholic programming. Hello, Christ seekers. This is uh, Roman Simeon. The book is Love Letters from Your Father, the Bible. And this is the Lectio Divina, the Gospels of John. And uh, we're at chapter 11 of the Gospels. But before that, I've been meditating on this. And I want to, I think it requires a preamble here to discuss what we have been talking about in the first ten, ten chapters. Uh, get a, a, an insight into what we're about. When we talk about Jesus, the Son of God, we uh, persons can get a wrong opinion. They say, well, he's the... Uh, some will acclaim him and say, oh, he's the greatest man who ever lived. Uh, he gave us a, a great philosophy of life. He, he changed the world. All these things are, are correct. But what did Jesus say about himself? When he identified himself, he came to, to show that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was, he was truly going to turn the world around from its mistakes that it had established since creation time and restore us back to what the purpose of man was in the in creation, an image of God. Not just some higher creature that controlled the world, but the Messiah. But what was the word that that Jesus used to describe himself so much? And it is the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Different authors have dis discussed, you know, what does the Son of Man mean? Well, if you go into the Hebrew, you find that the Son of Man, when he says the Son of Man, he's saying, in a way, anybody, nobody. I am just here in my humanness as the essence of humanness. And as a human, I'm like you. All the things that are common to you are common to me. I empty myself. We know that expression used in the scripture about Jesus. He emptied himself. And that's what the Son of God did. He was the Word of God. He was eternal. He had all the attributes of the divinity because he was part of the Trinity. And he was the image of the Father. But if he came as the image of the Father, we would be in the same problem, an incomprehensible problem of like 
trying to look into the sun. Our eyes cannot contain him. We cannot contain an infinite in a finite sense. In our eyes, in our mind, in our hearts. And the Son of God wanted to give us this look in, into God through his eyes. But first we have to see the sense. We have to see the man, the humanity. So he uh, renounced himself in a certain way. His humanity renounced his divinity. He, he had to come in the shadows of a human being for us to see this man, the humanity. And then he would reveal to us his divinity through miracles and through his teachings and all. It's uh, just the opposite of human beings, of uh, the, the human race. I'll come to that because I want to say how much did he empty himself? He came as a baby. He was born of a woman. He came as a baby. Did he now spout out and uh, create great miracles and all that? No, they were done around him. The angels went to the shepherds. Joseph was given a job to do, to take care of Mary, his betrothed spouse, and protect her. He had to protect the baby, protect him from Herod. All things that are not exactly a sense of divinity. He had fear. Joseph had fear. And he had to protect the child. He had to bring him into exile in Egypt and then only return after the danger was over and then go to Nazareth. And what did Jesus the child do? He became subject to Mary and Joseph. There's only one instance where he showed something unusual and that was when he was 12 years old at the temple. That he amazed them. But for 30 years, he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He was a, the son of man. People couldn't figure out whether he was the son of Joseph or whether he was a, later to be called the son of David. So the whole thing of Jesus for 30 years was a self-renunciation. And you see that sense in the Gospels. When he begins to reveal himself, the Pharisees and the, the coalition against him keep seeing him as a man. But now he's revealing himself as the Son of God with miracles. And they question it constantly. They're all confused. But how do 
humans act. What I want to say, one thing I forgot to say is that when he says the Son of Man, uh, I don't want to be vulgar or common here, but uh, call him an ordinary guy. He was a, a good guy. That's how he showed himself. A good carpenter. Someone who obeyed his parents. Someone who backed up his family. But now, instead, the human beings, humans, way they act in constant human culture is self-glorifying. It's just the opposite. They make, they're, they're just ordinary people, but they use their talents, use their abilities and all that in order to build themselves up. They're constantly playing king of the hill. Who is the top man? Who's the one that we have to look at? Even like, say, authors. You know, instead of glorifying the book at times, they glorify the author. <laughs> I think that's really ridiculous. Because even after I write a book and do this uh, love letters from your father, I'm trying to be clever and trying to impress people and if I really wanted to attract people to it, I would just read it. I do like some past authors did, but after they were famous for a book, they would go around the whole world and uh, read sections of their book and explain it, or take questions and all that, and become mucky mucks, become people up there in the stand and self-glorifying. And then people proclaim the author instead of the book. I think it should be the opposite. In life, then, people always are self-glorifying. They can't get away from it. They have this sense of personal pride that you're the greatest thing that ever happened in your generation. Because human beings away from the way of Jesus. And I don't mean sinful, but the the way that the human being is fixed in his culture. He rule control. The ones who control are the king. The ones who control are the ones that you have to bow down to. Control in your role. Give, give yourself a big title. We have to have titles. We can't say, I'm a man, son of man. I'm just a man. I'm just a person. Yet when we have to deal with people, to be on a common level with them, to make them understand and accept us. We really have to be just plain human. 
That's what Jesus was doing. Yes, we have to have titles. The bigger the titles, the more important we are. And we have to build monuments to ourselves. Well, the biggest ones, got to build monuments. <laughs> I kind of like the Italian proverb that says, uh, if you want to know who the scoundrels of history are, let's go to the public square and look at the monuments. Not always true, but generally it is. That's why one generation puts up the monument and the other one tears them down. Look at the buildings. What buildings do you build up to your glory? Pyramids. Great Pharaoh built a pyramid. Great Wall of China. Organizations. Hordes of armies. Each generation, each country with its power moving its army across the world, not being satisfied to be just humans in their own house, but to take over all the other houses. We call these empires. We teach in history that one supersedes the other, one takes over the other. As soon as one grows, another one grows to overthrow it. And eventually they do. So everybody takes their turn. It's almost like a, a poker game where one is the winner and one is the loser. The others are the losers. Then it switches. So in death, they have all these big monuments. When we come now to the, in the to 11th chapter of John's Gospels in the next 10 chapters. From the beginning to the end, to the 11th to the 21st. He talks about the ordinary person, the Son of Man, who emptied himself and in all the previous chapters and all the synoptics gives all the wonderful things that he did in 1,000 days. Three years of his public life. He has to come out of this common man position and Remain a common man. Remaining a person of compassion, a good person. He reveals step by step that he also is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. It's a hard job, and only he could do it. But we have to come to the realization when we talk about Jesus the Christ, that we're talking about the Son of God, the Word. It's 
behind. John Evangelist Beloved tries to put it all together in the first chapter when he talks about the Word with God. And all things were created through Him, and nothing was created that was not created by Him. That's who came into the world. But we saw Him. We saw Him with our own eyes, with our minds. And He teaches us that what we see is not a man, but the Son of God, the Word. Because that Word was made flesh. So, let us put some balance in our life and know when to be human and when to vaunt ourselves. The worst thing is that with Satan, we're vaunting ourselves above God. And that's called idolatry. Put God aside, and we have all the answers. Put the Word of God aside. Put the teachings of Jesus Christ aside, and we'll find the answers of how humans should live in their cultures. And that's exactly what is happening. Humans in history. We're teaching history, and I've taught history. Is that go chapter by chapter by chapter? It gets kind of confusing, but there's there's a mantra, there's there's a, a status that is constantly repeated, a, a program, a formation. As humans walk through the channels of history to the corridors of history. And what do they do? They create cultures. And there's there are two cultures. There's a culture of life, of what's positive, what is in the image of God, what follows the laws of God, what follows the essence of the humanity of the human race, and what is contrary. That's the clash. That's the clash. So in every generation, everywhere we, we, we look around the world from one century to the other, it's always a certain culture. Strange enough, if you live in your own life, you're finding out the culture keeps changing and developing in your own nation every 10, 15 years. That's why older people don't understand the younger people and the young people don't understand them. So that when you say things like, oh, I know what you're going through. I went through that when I was a kid. And they look quizzically to you with a big question marks in their eyes and in their spirits. They, you don't know what's going on now. It's not the same as when you were a boy. It's changed. So cultures 
keep changing because cultures are the way that the humans begin to look at life. They're, they develop their own philosophies of life. They don't have an established philosophy that belongs to the human race as such universal everywhere that belongs to its essence. And that is what Jesus is doing. He restores the essence of humanity. Not according to the way humans have done it. Not according to how they confused it. How they move in one direction or another direction and have different goals. But what is the essence of humanity? And the essence of humanity is to do the will of God. To be His image so that when all is said and done in life that we can go into eternity and get another gift beyond existence, mere existence and a little little bit of life that much life but eternal life to live with God in eternity it's phenomenal it's unbelievable it's incomprehensible but we believe it in the faith of Jesus because Jesus said it and his goal is to bring us home God made a creature similar to the angels we're there to have an eternal life so in our life we have to work to attain that life by collaboration connection and correction by Jesus and that's basically what the scripture Oh. Jesus did all this expressed his divinity he expressed his divinity for a thousand days only three years and now we're coming into chapter 11 of John's gospel where what, what is the time level of this, this gospel? In ten chapters. Less than two months. Less than two months. That he's going to remain with us on earth in human form. He does other ways to stay with us, like in the Eucharist. But in human form as a man, for about two, two more months. What did he accomplish in this time? <laughs> in two months, if we look through all of the scriptures and we have to look through the whole Bible, he fulfilled the prophecies of Messiah. Prophecies that were in confusion 
because some seem to contradict others. He's to be divine. He cannot be killed. He will conquer all the world. And the Pharisees stressed this point. And then, prophecy that says, he'll be wounded for our offenses. For our guilt. Our guilt will be taken upon himself. And he will pay the penalty for it. Sounds like a contradiction. Jesus comes and says, Yes, I am here for the lambs of God, for the creatures, for the human race. They said, Well, are they chosen? Yes, the human race is chosen with Jesus Christ. But we are the chosen people. What our little nation, we are the chosen people. Yes. You are chosen in certain circumstances. But in the whole picture, everybody is chosen. Even those that are sinners. Even those that are away from God now. Even those that are out of the flock. All are chosen. So what did, if we want to say, what did he accomplish in these thousand days. Well, we go by the human way of counting. He established a new culture, a permanent culture that deals with essence, that connects to essence, does not connect just to circumstances. Sounds impossible. No human being has ever accomplished this. No great conqueror, no great lawgiver, no constitution of any country has ever accomplished this. Yet he has. When we say the direct accomplishments and go through the scriptures and look at all of those prophecies, then look at the synoptics. Say, well, how many miracle, miracles that he performed? What? Start counting them. Hundreds. But these are the ones that are expressed. These are the ones that are sufficient to understand. Probably <laughs> have many more miracles than are even written in the Gospels. They go from Jesus going from one area uh, to another, going from Galilee to Judea and back again to the Perea almost doesn't mention hardly any of of the other tetrarchies of Judea of Israel but everywhere he went he sent out 72 disciples preparing the way for him he sent his apostle disciples even before the, they were really fully apostles. Saying that work, work miracles. Doesn't tell us what miracles they were. They cast out demons. They healed people. 
numberless miracles were worked. You can count the parables. How many parables did he give? How many things did he express to make people understand? We have some in the Gospels. You'll see he went to the temple to teach. Doesn't give all his teachings. Whole days, whole times. We know that the book is books of the gospels are summaries. They'll put in one paragraph that Jesus was teaching all day. But and one of the things he did in this thousand years, he constantly corrected misinterpretations of the prophecies. Corrected. This is not the way the Holy Sabbath day is to be observed. Partly you're right. You're exaggerating. It's never forbidden to do God's work on God's day. It's never forbidden for anyone, anyone who knows God. It's never forbidden for him to teach about God. Whose permission does anyone need ultimately to do God's work? Every human being has the obligation not just the permission, the obligation to do God's work according to conscience. Even pagans in good conscience have done God's work. And we know, we give whole loads of names of people that have done good works. It doesn't have to be in the scriptures, but it is there. It is there. So, Jesus corrected, directly corrected misinterpretations of the scribes, of the fathers of the church, of the of Israel. Everything they say is not infallible. The way they apply it is not infallible. It has to be done according to the will of God, according to the basically the commandments. Humans have created so many philosophies of life. There's only one philosophy of life. Thy will be done on earth. The Father's will, God's will be done on earth. Everything else is ultimately to give it a a religious name, idolatry. Worshipping idols that are temporary, that don't have any real existence except in the minds of men. So when we go into these scriptures and to say 
What did Jesus do? What was his purpose? You can say it in many ways, some fancy ways, but I like to say it in a simple way, and it's not original. Nothing, nothing I say at all is very original. It's harder for anyone to write a book and say something original. We say it in an original or impressive way. He came to bring us home. He came to bring the lambs into the flock. He came to return us to the Father. We are the branches, he is the vine. He came to reattach us to the vine and make us productive while we live on this earth and to be rewarded for it and recognized for it because we're recognized as being his image as he is the Father's image. This world is not our home. It's a place of testing. It's home for a while. It's not a place to take rest from going home. And we don't know the way. We don't know how. We're confused. And we're confused by our cultures. They tell us this is the way. Oh, we're the greatest people on earth. Everyone is saying that. Uber Rollins, above everybody, we're the greatest, the greatest that ever lived. <laughs> Most of it is a lot of nonsense, if not insanity. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what the Word of God said. The Son of God. He said it as a man, but he meant it as God. His words are words of determination. Words of truth. And there is no other life but the life that he says it is. Humans are not masters over nature. You say how you want to control the environment any way you want. You can't do it. And we're certainly not masters over God and the main thing is to become masters over ourselves that's enough and a hard to handle so let's be honest with ourselves we're human beings we're creatures of one who wants to show us the way and to give us the way. 
and you see how terribly in these next ten chapters the human race has acted towards the one who knew how to lead them. And in their way, they led him to a monument that they offered to give him as a gift. And that was a cross. They thought they were doing a marvelous deed and some were on his side saved his body and put it in a tomb. The monument that there is to the Lord Jesus is an empty tomb. This world cannot contain him because his home is not here. Yet, the home that he had in the Gospels was here. And that is our home. Now, it won't be for long. And with him, only with him, his way, the way of God, and bring us to our true home. So when we read these scriptures, when we study them, when we talk to Jesus personally in the Eucharist, because he's with us, he stays with us, other that these symbols, well these symbols are not symbols, they're realities. It's the only place where, that I can think of, where the symbol is actually the reality. We can talk to him. And he responds. And he guides. He puts it in our hearts. He puts it in our minds. He puts it in our consciences. And never say an untruth. And that, oh, I follow my conscience. I have my choice. If your conscience isn't on the pattern of Jesus' mind and heart and, and way, it is not conscience at all. It's not with knowledge. It's against knowledge. It's against truth. So, that's all become sons of God, man and we're sons of God through Jesus Christ. We find our way not by glorifying ourselves but to empty ourselves to see what we really are. We're just pilgrims in this world. We're being tested. And we don't work for controlling others 
and guiding them, just telling them the right way, if we don't, we're not on the right way. Otherwise, it's just empty air, empty words that come for nothing. That's in the scripture too. God loves who he made. When he looks down and sees man, he sees dust. That's that he formed into humans. But ultimately, we are dust. And he has mercy on us because he sees that at times what we do is nothing but wind. Nothing but emptiness. We always and daily have to follow this affirmation and confrontation with ourselves. When I look at others, I have to see also myself. And I say this, Lord Jesus, you were eternal. You contained all that is in essence that is of value. Empty yourself into me. God bless you. And pray for me as we pray for you. Hi, everybody. This is Al Belowski, host of Catholic Mysticism and All Things Catholic. You know, we have such a beautiful, vibrant faith, and I want to introduce you to it. And what we do on the show is we talk about the supernatural. We talk about a prayer life. We talk about the battle that's waged between good and evil. We talk about Satan, and we talk about God and the battle that they have begun for our souls and we talk about our brothers and sisters the saints and we want to get you into this wonderful supernatural aspect of our faith where we talk about miracles of the Eucharist where we talk about Our Lady's apparitions at Fatima and Lourdes and we can let our souls be nourished with this and continue to grow closer to our Lord in holiness and by our brothers and sisters that have gone before us the saints that we tap into their lives and talk about them and the challenges that are so relevant today in our world as it was for them. And we use this to become closer and closer to our Lord because we are spiritual beings and he has given us this great gift of his church to nourish us with his sacraments, especially in the Eucharist and confession and confirmation and all the beautiful things of our faith that lead us closer and closer to him. So I hope you'll tune in for Catholic mysticism where we will try, you and I, together to grow closer through the Holy Spirit to our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless. Thank you for listening to a production of WCAT Radio. 
Please join us in our mission of evangelization. And don't forget, love lifts up where knowledge takes flight.